Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Nesson Dorma. This is your weekly chat about 80s and 90s football. I am Lee Calvert and I'm joined by our very own football knowledge machine, Mr. Rob Smythe. Hello, Rob. Hello. Just us today, then. It is just the two of us today, for those of you who are used to three voices. It's just the two of us. Thank you very much for everyone who's listened and subscribed so far. You can obviously listen to this pod on Acast. It's also available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Leave a review if you feel that you're happy with what we're doing. You can get in touch with the pod. It's at Nessundorma Pod on Twitter, or there's contact at nessundormapod.com, which is the email. There's also a mailing list at nessundormapod.com if you fancy signing up for that. Please do subscribe so you get a fresh delivery of our nostalgic analysis each and every time we shout into this abyss that we enjoy uh, talking to every week. One person did get in touch on Twitter this week, Rob, and actually did say, have you got no pod this week? Because we are slightly late. I do apologise for the, you know, tiny legion of listeners that we've got who are, who are obviously waiting with bated breath every Wednesday morning. Yeah, but that's ruined someone's week, obviously. Oh, quite clearly. Yeah, yeah. that's someone's... my Wednesday commute. Fucked, yeah. Yeah, some poor underling at work got a bollock in because <laughs> we couldn't be bothered. It's not cheap so coming up, uh, we've we... got... Go on, Rob. Can I just say, we, we could be bothered. There were just genuine technical problems. Yeah, there were genuine technical problems and scheduling problems, but uh, we are going to aim to do have one ready for you every Wednesday morning moving forward. So coming up, we're going to have a look at a bit of a feature called Good Tournament, Bad Signing. I'm sure you can guess what that's all about. And also, uh, we'll be looking at your favourite... Is it your favourite ever Serie A game or just your favourite Serie A game of that year? No, probably my favourite ever, yeah. I, I think... I always say it's the best Serie A game ever, which is clearly bollocks because I haven't seen, I've probably seen about 1% of Serie A games, but it, it kind of captured everything that was great about the golden age of Serie A. So that's 1991 we're going to go back to for that. We'll talk about what game it is later on. And then we're going to have a little dip into, again, it's two games we're looking at this week, really. There's that one, and then we're going to look at Leicester 2, Chelsea 2 from 1999 and what that meant for that season and also just some bits about that game, which I really like. So we're going to talk about that as well. And then we'll leave you to the rest of your day. So let's talk about good tournament, bad signing then. 
So people who had a great tournament turned into being a terrible signing. Do you want to go first? Yeah, let's go with the obvious one that people always go to, Carol Paborski. Yes. Um, he, he did have a bloody good tour. the funny thing about Paborski yeah. is kind of, he's, he's a, kind of a double bluff because he was a good tournament, bad signing, but he happened to be a good player. Often you get, it's a good tournament <laughs> yeah. and it's a yeah, crap player. Whereas yeah. Paborski was actually bloody brilliant. He just didn't happen at United for a, a variety and of that's, reasons. That's the issue, isn't it? That, and now he's, because of the particularly English mentality about football, he's remembered as being a terrible footballer. Yeah, I think he's partially redeemed it because he was so good in that Czech team in 2004. Do you remember who everyone loved? Yes. He should have won the Euros. But you're right. It's the whole kind of shevchenko Veron principle. Because he went to Lazio, yeah, did he, after that? At some point, he played for Lazio. He was at Benfica for a while. I can't even remember who he left United for. Um but you, you watch United closely. Was he was he that terrible going back to that time? Well, it's funny, he started really well. There was a game away at Leeds early in the season. They slaughtered him 4 0, and Paborski gave the left back, who I think was Ian Hart. He just demolished him. Um, but what happened, of course, is the whole kind of dynamic, for want of a less pompous word, I can imagine that's first... going to be on his team tombstone. Carol Paborski yeah, once did. destroyed Ian Hart. That's the thing yeah, that you're going to. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the thing your career should be remembered by, isn't it? it look, at, at the time it was exciting. But the thing <laughs> is, that even by then it had already changed because Beckham had scored the goal from the halfway line at yeah. Wimbledon, and that just changed everything, really. Um, because I think probably when he bought Paborski, I mean, he obviously had a squad in mind because they were in the European Cup, but I think he probably had Paborski in mind as his first choice right winger. Um, and Beckham Beckham actually played quite a lot in central midfield that season and kind of came hmm. some games right, some games... But, yeah, just slowly, I don't know. I think in those days it was still quite... Kind of English football wasn't as continental as it is now, so it was harder to adjust. Um, and he just, yeah, he just he wasn't terrible. He just kind of drifted, didn't do a lot. I remember he played in the five nil when they lost at Newcastle, um, and there weren't that many moments. He scored a good goal, I think, later in the was season. Was that the Philippe Albert game? Yeah, he played. I think he played on the left wing in that game, which wasn't a good idea. But yeah, it just didn't happen. Like I think there was always a sense that some players you sign who are obviously crap, like say Bebe. Um, yeah, I think it was obvious Paborski was a decent player, partly because of what we'd seen. Like he hadn't just had a good tournament; he'd given Maldini probably the second biggest chase of his career after Chris Waddle. <laughs> so you can't crap it. He scored that great scoop that everyone remembers. Yes, yes. Um, and I think there was more a sense that sometimes it just doesn't happen. You know, like good players can go somewhere and it just doesn't work. Um, so, the, but he kind of went, he disappeared without trace really at United. I think he stayed. I think he went halfway through the. The second season by then Beckham was a superstar. Well, he was swept aside with the Beckham, you know, he was consumed in Beckham's brill cream at the time, like Spice <laughs> exactly. Girls, wasn't he? And all that. But yeah, it is that it is that particular thing with him. He wasn't. I think the point is, it's a very good point to draw the distinction between somebody who had a good tournament, but I was actually actually shit and just masqueraded as a good player for a while. Whereas that wasn't yeah. the case with Bavorsky, was it? There's a different. There's a different. Um, He's on a different line on the spreadsheet, if you like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then you get others like Torben Picnic at Liverpool. Now, I don't know enough about him, but I know Liverpool fans who won't have his name mentioned in, in their house. So, I mean, he had a great Euro. He's played really well against Van Basten, but I suspect he falls into the latter category of good tournament, not such a good player. Who signed Picnic? Uh, I guess it was Graham Soonest. Soonest, then, was it? We hadn't, we hadn't got into the joint manager nightmare by then. <laughs> no, no, that was years away. Yeah, Soonest signed a few um, eccentric, or made a few eccentric purchases. There was... Uh, but, yeah, go, yeah on. go on, sorry. No, 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 go on. Now I was going to move on to the next player, so you finish your point about Putney. No, that was it, really. Oh, that was it, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing more to say about him, yeah. Yeah, that was it. Salif Diaw. 
Yeah, they so always, they always, they, you know, it's always well, it's all Liverpool, isn't it? <laughs> it's all, it's always the team, this kind of surprise team, isn't it? Like I think, um, well, there was Juve as well from that tournament, but I'm pretty sure that deal was done, if not before the tournament, and certainly yeah, after the first game. Julio signed him just before the 2002 World Cup, and he then went on to have a very decent I, tournament. Yeah. Yeah, I remember being quite scared because he had a great game against France. And it's like, oh, geez, they found one here. Um, and they found, <laughs> they found one, all right. <laughs> yeah, an entirely different kind of one. Yeah, yeah. Diaw looked a good player. I mean, it's, it's difficult to know, isn't it? Cause you just, didn't Diaw end up like Birmingham and go around the houses? Portsmouth, was he there at some point? Did he go to Portsmouth? Prob- is that, is that a memory of mine? Let me just check that. But it's quite, it's so easy, I guess, to be seduced by the, just like we are as fans, you know, seduced by the glamour of players like Yosimar and Scalacci when they have great World Cups and you assume they do that all the time. And of course, back in those days, we didn't know that they could do it all the time. Whereas when you sign them, you realise that they don't do that all the time yeah, at all. Yeah, it was Liverpool, Birmingham on loan, Portsmouth on loan, Stoke on loan, then finally finished at Stoke City, retired in 2012. Jesus. I mean, there were a few others. I remember Mark Hotiker, the right back, Swiss mm. right back, having a cracking USA 94 and I think Keegan signed him and he was all right but you know like when you sign players like that you think they're going to be something absolutely spectacular and yeah often it doesn't work out and actually Poborski came with another one Jordi Cruyff who had a decent tournament for Holland I think Ferguson had been after him beforehand in fairness whereas Poborski I think was just based on that tournament but Cruyff was another one who didn't really it's nice to know though isn't it that even top managers make championship manager decisions exactly yeah you know, it's really Anybody out there who played championship manager, if you listen to this, then you must have done. The number of times you had a list of people you'd filtered on your transfer shortlist and you went for the one with the foreign name who was foreign because you thought he must be better. And I think there is an element of that even with top managers that, oh, well, they've played in that league, I suppose, so they might be a bit better. Hottiger, of course, is famous, and I desperately tried to find the commentary of this on YouTube and I couldn't. For Barry Davis referring to him as Swiss in that game. Do you remember that? But he, no. He was playing for, I think he was, I can't remember if he was at Newcastle or Everton at the time, when I think he was at Newcastle and he was playing at right back and it literally went, you know, Albert, Barton, Swiss. And, then it, <laughs> and I cannot, and, and I cannot find, it definitely happened. I didn't dream it and I can't find the commentary anywhere and it's really annoying. That's tremendous. It is, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's really refreshing to learn even great managers do it because you kind of think that this really sophisticated process, you know, like, boardroom discussions or discussions with the assistant manager for hours and then it probably is just like yeah we'll take a punt a we gamble as Fergie called Bebe um, <laughs> yeah I bet he doesn't call him that now yeah he wasn't <laughs> if the greatest manager of all time is doing it then yeah yeah it's quite cool well that's probably an episode in itself Fergie's transfer howlers isn't it because he's renowned as a very shrewd man but you know it's a uh... he, he had his ups and downs like he made some of the most amazing Imaginative signings, and by God, did he buy some rubbish did, as well? I don't want to go. I don't want to go into this too much, but he was always the one who made decisions about signings. Ferguson was he? I think he certainly got recommendations. Like um, he had Les Kershaw as a scout, who he really trusted. I think he was someone who recommended people like Ints. Because um, in the modern, the only reason I asked in the modern, uh, oh, it was world, never like a direct. You know, there was, was no direct. Never, he was he was the last of the kind of cluff figure, wasn't right. he? Who made every yeah. decision basically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine, yeah, imagine telling Fergie. Presenting him with a sign he didn't want. Yeah, I'd like to see that conversation. Now, Brian Roy. Now, he wasn't really a good tournament shit signing. He was a kind of a good good signing turned into a shit signing, I suppose, because it wasn't... It was, he was, I remember him being quite a cue, cue Brian Moore, Brian Roy, when yeah. he came to... Brian, 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 Brian Moore. Moore. Yeah. Brian Moore. <laughs> it's because um, all they talk about commentators. But yeah, Brian Roy, 
he was a big deal when he came to Forest, if I remember rightly, after 94. Yeah, him and Collymore had a great partnership, didn't they? I think they finished third that year. Yeah, no, he, he was a good player, and obviously Holland had done all right in the tournament, went out to Brazil, he won it. Um, and back then, I suppose, it must have been a huge thing, because we wouldn't have had many Dutch players at all, would we? He's obviously Muren and Tyson going back. When did Van um, Hoydonk come over? Was it a bit later? Th- wait, didn't he go to Celtic first? He, he I did, know he was at yeah. Forest in, like, no, that was the late to 90s. Yeah. So, and obviously Holland with all the kind of connotations of sophistication and everything. This is before Chelsea signed Winston Bogard, so we didn't really know. Um, <laughs> Never has a man been happier to take his pay and play in the reserves. <laughs> but yeah, Roy and Collymore was actually a really good partnership. Um, Cracking kit as well. I like that. That Remember the Labatt's kit? Labatt's, yeah. With the black bits down the side? It was quite good, the Forest kit. That was quite nice. Most not mid-90s kits, I think, are shocking because it was kind of when design tools started to play with their design tools and they got a bit carried away. <laughs> the kind of simple purity... When, but I know what you mean. The forest one was quite nice. Um, yeah, it, I'm not sure about the bats, though. Yeah, can you still even get that, even in Canada? Yeah, I'm sure you can find ways. But I, I remember it had a mounting in the advert. That was how kind of classy it was. It wasn't a, you know, yeah. the stereotypical nature of it. Right, so, and then what else we got? Daniel Amakachi. Yeah, he... <laughs> Shame Naylor's not on for this, because he'll yeah. know a lot more about him. But, yeah, Nigeria were really good in 94, really kind of dynamic and... Mm. Um, quite unlucky to go. It was out him and Yakini up front, was it? That's right. The late Yakini. Yeah. Scored a great goal against Greece, I think, in the last minute. And I think that, that put them, that was the famous head bobbing celebration, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. And I think they put them that put them top of the group or something. But anyway, and they, then obviously because didn't Evan try and also sign Muller that year from Brazil? Oh, I don't know. That's, that's beyond me. That Mike Walker was the manager, and I've got a vague memory. And again, I might have imagined this. Muller turned up and basically thought fuck this it was too, far too far too cold just i, I may have completely imagined it was far it. too yeah, cold and far too liverpool for me to stick around amakachi didn't do a lot but he did have one great day when they beat they stuffed spurs do you remember in the semi-final in 95 yes. the fa cup spurs were the big favorites because they've been banned then they come back into the competition one at anfield clinton sharing it was everyone's talking about dream final united beat spurs and everton battered them joe royals everton and amakachi came on and scored two late goals to make it 4-1 from 2-1. And I think he actually sneaked on the field and he shouldn't have done. He was kind of half ready in case someone had to come off injured or someone was getting treatment off the field and they hadn't, Royal hadn't right. sanctioned the sub and Amakachi just sort of bollocks I'm going on. <laughs> you got to love that, haven't you? <laughs> and scored, yeah, I know, it's great, isn't it? Scored two goals. Again, if I imagine that, I apologise, but I don't think and, I did. Um, and, in a, yeah, you know, and in a not like things used to be trivia point, wasn't he um, Everton's first senior black player? Daniel Amakachi. <laughs> Probably was actually. I'm sure yeah. he was. Um, I'm sure. Have you ever told Gary if, if Gary was here, Naylor, he'd tell us immediately. But I'm sure he was I, their I first ever black was, signing. I think he probably. I can't think of anyone in the early '90s, and certainly not before then, because it was obviously all the stuff of John Barnes. Yeah. So Bradford signed Cess Pod in 1970, and it took Everton till 1994 to sign their. Uh, I'm sure I remember at the time it was a thing with Everton. It was being well, it was, talked about quite a lot that they were a thing. It was the only team. Yeah, it was a thing with them. I'm not saying yeah. what I mean, I'm not saying the races that they were a thing. I'm just no, saying it, became, it, was just, it was noticeable that they they just yeah. had never quite got round to it yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, that's that's very true. So there you go. Good tournament, bad signing. Uh, have you got any nominations out there that you want to send us for good tournament, bad signing? Because we can we can revisit this. You can send them to at Ness and Dormapod on Twitter or contact at nessandormapod.com and let us know. Uh, right then, let's talk about a couple of football games that we like very much. So I mentioned from from your point of view, Robert, um, 
Well, you can tell people what it is. So, yeah, Serie A 1991. This is pre-James Richardson and Channel 4. It was on um, uh, Sky Sports. And they used to show games, I think, on what well, they used to show on a Sunday evening, delayed um, as live. And, of course, in those days, right. it was fine because the only way anyone could plot spoilers teletext and you obviously stay away from that <laughs> yeah. or phone like somebody so- and tell them it's not like someone will call you and say have you seen como neil milan neil um <laughs> so sampdoria had a really likable team they've never won the league they've been quite close a few times and they've won Coppola's cup and i think uh the copper italia they have viali mancini up front and they were just quite a likable team really um and then they were went to inter who had Matthias Bremen Klinsman. And I think there was something like four games to go, but basically it was at San Siro. Inter had to win. Realistically, a draw would... It wouldn't give Sampdoria the title, but it would keep them well in control. And it was just the most amazing game. Um, and I think the thing that kind of sums up to me is Martin Tyler, who is quite a kind of... Mm. He's, a, he's a brilliant commentator, but he's quite a kind of dry commentator and quite kind of measured. By the end, he was just shouting, basically. Yeah, he's not he big just, on the hyperbole, is he? No, and he'd just gone, basically. It was it was wonderful. It would give you goosebumps. Just so you're listening, the people... This is what Martin Tyler was reduced to by the end of this game. It's brilliant. In years to come, people will be saying, I was here. I was at that game. Grown men, hardened football watchers, are scarcely able to turn their eyes to this. And surely it's two this time. It is. The somersault of celebration from Gianluca Bialy. Yeah. And it's weird because Tyler, it's really, I always feel, I don't feel sorry for Martin Tyler. He's very rich. He gets to watch football and talk about it all the time. But when people do these best commentary compilations, I can't remember ever him really playing a big part in it. No, that kind of changed with Aguero, didn't it? Yeah, um, with Aguero. Oh, but actually, yeah, I, maybe that's just because terrestrial TV, I don't know. Yeah, I think he's a brilliant commentator. Probably mm. the last of the, maybe Clive Tilsey, but certainly the last of his generation anyway. I mean, he, it's amazing how prolific he is because he's in his seventies now, but that's another story. Yeah. Yeah. He was wrong about the way he said, um, in years to come, people were saying I was here. In fact, in years to come, people were saying I was on my sofa watching on delay <laughs> in, in deepest Kent. But anyway, yeah. And so into basically for 70 minutes, battered Sampdoria, like a, an unbelievable battle. Paliuk had the game of his life. Um, Saved Clinton a penalty, a didn't he? Yeah. From Mateus, who never missed penalties. Klinsman had a goal weirdly disallowed. Mancini and Burgundy were sent to It was a truly fight. terrible, terrible penalty as far as Would German penalties. Well, well he, hard, put, he put his foot yeah. through it, but it went about two foot, well, probably about 18 yeah. inches to the right of where, he was, where the keeper was stood. And as yeah, far and as Germans go, that's a terrible penalty. That's that's true. And then even the rebound almost went in because Paliuk was kind of scrambling and it hit yeah. off Mateus and went just wide. Yeah, Bergman and Mancini were sent off. I think Bergman got hit by a coin from his own fans. It was aimed for Mancini. Um, then <laughs> Sampdoria were very good on the counter. They, they, Dosseno hadn't scored all season. Scored a really good goal on the break after about an hour. And after that, just all bets were off, basically. Then you had the penalty. Then Lombardo hit the post. Um the commentary we heard and then finally Viali who had this kind of redemptive season after Italian 90 scored a really good goal went round Zenga um, Viali with hair then, of course which always still seems like it looks a bit odd yeah 
yeah. Then the, I think it was delayed. There were flares thrown at the fans. But I, I can't stress, I'm like, the amount of chances that Inter missed or the Paliuka saved was just crazy. And the whole thing just kind of ached with importance in the way that only that era of Serie A football can. And it was and a kind of, and it was you know the swirling cauldron thing was never more true, was it? And yeah, the, exactly. the crowd really seemed really close to the pitch as well. Weirdly, yeah, yeah, and particularly for a team like Sampdoria, who all season people had expected them to bottle it. They had a little wobble around January, and then they came again, and it, and it was just incredible. And that game pretty much won the league for them. It was confirmed a couple of weeks later. Um, but yeah, just for sheer kind of drama and importance, and also excitement in a way that. Again, we don't always associate with that era of Serie A. Yeah, and that wasn't Ericsson's Sampdoria, was it? That was no, it was uh, really Boskov. Boskov, yeah, Boskov, yeah um, the Serbian guy. Yeah, it's a lovely story. I, I kind of wish I spoke Italian so I could find out a bit more about it. I wrote something like a few years ago for the Guardian, but just kind of based on anything you can find with hmm. Google Translate. Uh, but yeah, it's a great story. There was such a likable team, such a kind of unsung team. Like the three foreign players didn't play a big part. Cerezo played a fair part, but. This is an era again when foreign players were everything in Italy, mm. um, and they were just quite like when they won the league, they um, they they went they went to some concert all dressed up as like in cock rock mullets and stuff, and um, <laughs> played the final countdown. They just seemed quite like there's some great pictures when they won the league. The day they won the league, I home to Lecce, just like this explosion of emotion, and they're all walking around just basically wearing in a pair of briefs around, around the stadium. Um, yeah, and it was, it was their just, first ever title as well, wasn't it? The yeah, their only ever title. It was kind of, yeah, and it, yeah, just a, a, a really charming story. And yeah, that game was kind of everything. Because if they lost that game, I, well, you don't know, but they probably might have collapsed. Um, yeah, it's just a yeah. brilliant game. It was, I remember actually, I just remember talking about the whole kind of, I remember calling my dad at half time and saying, you watching me? He didn't, he didn't toss about Serie A, really. But it was that kind of thing. The kind of thing now you'd be tweet, or you wouldn't because it wouldn't be on delay. But <laughs> you know, I remember like vividly, you just wouldn't talk to anyone about it, you know? Um, yeah. I don't remember it at the time, I'll be honest. I don't think I was, I don't think I had Sky at the time. I think that was a. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we that was the first season I properly watched Serie A because, yeah, because we had Sky. Um, uh, yeah. And it was, their, their coverage was quite. It, Good fun. John Inverdale presented it, and then Brian Glanville would be on the Monday Ooh. Night Show, and he would go on these never-ending rambles. <laughs> there was, there was he's, he's, he's there. wonderful for that Glanville, though, isn't he? He's like this, just, this like brilliant, miserable monologue that you can't stop listening to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was good stuff in there, but you could you could almost see Inverdale twitching. You could just tell someone saying in his ear, "Move him on, move him on." You couldn't. You just got that was before everyone despised Inverdale, of course. Yeah, exactly. Before, um, yeah. Well, he's overstayed his time, I think. Like a lot of these anchor type people do, if you ask me, they they just hang on a little. The BBC, in particular, hang on to people a little bit too long. <laughs> yeah, so that was that game. So you can look it up on. Oh, it is on YouTube. Um, it's it's quite confusing. I'll put it on the. I'll put it on the um, Twitter oh, feed. But it's quite confusing because it's both games from that season yeah, are on the same clip. Like, the first game was an excellent game as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not, it hasn't got yeah. Martin Tyler commentators, so you sometimes think no, you've got it's... the wrong clip, but you haven't. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So that was that. So that's Rob's favourite ever Serie A game. What's your favourite ever Serie favorite ever Serie A game? Maybe you can let us know at Nesson Dormapod. What else have we got then? Let's talk about uh, Chelsea versus Leicester from 1999. Now, this might seem like a bit of a non-event of a game, really. Why the hell do you want to talk about Chelsea versus Leicester from 1999? <laughs> but I think there's a couple of things to it, really. One, it was kind of reflective of Chelsea's whole season that season because one argument is there were too many draws 
Hmm. Um, obviously, some other team managed to do quite well in this season, didn't they, Rob? If I remember correctly. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, they did. Yes, in the nineteen ninety nine season. So yeah, so well, if, to set one, Rob. No, I was going to say. I think you're right. I think um, obviously everyone remembers Man United's treble, and some people forget how brilliant Arsenal were, who were kind of a missed penalty away from doing back-to-back doubles. But a lot of people forget how good Chelsea were because they finished third in the mm. league behind United and Arsenal, despite only losing three games all season, um, which is, you know, pretty impressive. I know you're right, there were a lot of draws, but the, the league was a lot harder then. I mean, even United won the league with 79 points, it I was, think. Yeah. 79, yeah. Um, Chelsea on 75 in third. It was a really, really... But, but what was interesting about it was also that it was that whole period kind of pre-Mourinho when... It was almost like up to Christmas was a warm up and didn't really count. You know, Ferguson would always say, "We'll get going after Christmas," and it was they all did. They all faffed around, and then after Christmas, United, Arsenal, and to a lesser extent Chelsea just had the most remorseless pace. Um, I think United and Arsenal didn't lose a game between December and May. Chelsea only lost one. No, they lost two. One of those was at Arsenal. This is after Christmas. Um, so yeah, the standard was so high. It was just we'll talk about the game in a minute. We'll talk about that final team. This was the the season that obviously Blackburn went down four years after winning the title, of course. Yeah, exactly. It was um, yeah, man. Ferguson didn't even know about it when he did a post match interview. Yeah, it was just, it was just it was, actually it's a good question because everyone remembers United, Villa, and Chelsea. Who was top at Christmas? Hmm. Aston Villa. John Gregory's Aston Villa. Oh, is that what it was? Good God. Yeah, they had a great start. To oh the yeah, I remember yeah. the and I remember the really minging jingoistic coverage of the fact he had loads of it. It was an English, but it was a mostly English starting eleven, wasn't it? Or totally English? It was. And they were like the tabloids were reveling in it. They were like rubbing themselves in it. It was like minging basically. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. But it, it was. Yeah, I mean, you know, on one level, I suppose we'd rather have a bit of that now with the England team. But I don't want to go into that too much. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so this game anyway. So Chelsea took a two 0 lead. Basically, yes. and it looked like it was it was all she wrote. Basically, and, and what I find most, if you watch this game back again, if you remember this game, anybody out there, what completely changed? What you've got to remember is that Chelsea had a World Cup winning centre back partnership. They had Frank Leboeuf and they had Marcel Desailly at that time, who had who had basically won the World Cup the year before with France. Obviously, they had Lillian Chiram, etc. As well, yeah. but basically, yeah. But actually, that defence of Chelsea wasn't bad. There was Albert Ferrer, who was a decent player. They often played the headless. So they often played um, with kind of four fullbacks almost. So they had mm. Ferrer and Petrescu on the right, Lasso and Babiara on the left. Um, so they would play two in midfield. But yeah, no, it was a good defence. And also they had good protection. People like Dennis Wise and um, Di Matteo. So yeah, they were really solid defensively. They were a tough team, actually. Yeah, so they were turning up against against Leicester, as, as Leicester are, and did cruising. And then on, on the 17th minute, when the game basically changed, Leicester brought on Ian Marshall. Big, massive, lanky, scouse, brilliant, Oldham legend, curly-haired, I run with my arms by my sides, Ian Marshall <laughs> came on on the 70th minute. And you've never seen a pair of defenders get so terrorised by one <laughs> bloke. You probably have. You probably can remember. But it's just incredible. It's as almost as if he came on and they went, we've got no fucking idea what yeah. to do with this guy. Because he was just being Ian Marshall. And he would have been, it's- what, about 36 at the time? Yeah, it's true though. That, it sounds awful, but there is something in that. We see it now with Andy Carroll. If if the service is right and the circumstances are right, then it is very very hard for even great defenders to do much. Duncan Ferguson was another one. He he could be completely unplayable. I mean, um, and it sounds like it sounds like Ian Marshall wasn't this. The, the thing most people remember is Steve Guppy's goal, um, which was a blinder, by the way. Yeah, it's a great goal. It's big right foot curler. But you're right, Marshall just 
it all came from Marshall, basically, just harassing people. <laughs> yeah. My, a, mate was <laughs> a, a mate of mine was a very good footballer. He's one of those kind of nearly made it sort of thing. And and I remember saying to him once, imagine what it must be like trying to play against Zola. And he was a defender. And he said, I would rather play against Zola than Emil Heskey. <laughs> and I said, are you joking? He said, no, because actually with Zola, you could probably lean on him a bit and get your foot in. He said, whereas Heskey, they'd just be an, you just have a torrid, torrid afternoon. Basically, yeah. it would just be a real, just you know, you just you just want to get shut of him, and you just couldn't do it at all. And there's something about that with Marsh, isn't there? There's something about coming up against this bloke who just will not leave you alone. Yeah, particularly late in the game as well. Yeah, your <laughs> muscles are stuck to eight. You think your job's done. So I think on that note, actually, I think Alan Hansen said the most miserable 90 minutes he had when he played against Billy Whitehurst, who was <laughs> I think I think he was at Hull, but he was someone who later did like bare knuckle boxing. boxing um, Oh, especially Mr. Like Hal Hansen, who, as brilliant as he was, was a little. It looked a little bit. He, obviously, he wasn't, but he looked a bit fragile, didn't he? So having this kind yeah. of yeah, yeah. But, but, but Billy White has needs an episode on his own. He's. Uh, <laughs> I would he, have to look him up. I'll be honest, but it's a uh, yeah. He's it's, a, uh, oh yeah, he's <laughs> his whole story is just terrifying and very funny. If but got, yeah, I know what you mean. Easy because Desai in particular. I mean, Lebuff was an excellent defender, but Desai was a great defender. Uh, um. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite, again, it's quite refreshing. When did Desai move into defence full-time? Because I remember when Milan won the European, when Milan battered Ajax in that European Cup final. He was playing in midfield, yeah, he was wasn't midfield. he? he was. I don't, I don't know. He certainly, by the time he came to Chelsea. Yeah, he was by then. And when was and that final? 90, what was it? When was the Milan final? When was the oh, Milan, Milan final? 94. So I guess yeah, he slowly moved back then. Um, but yeah, he certainly played in defence for France. Um, yeah, he was by then. Yeah, it was just interesting to understand when he became because he looked yeah. a very, very good midfielder. So, well, he yeah, was a very good player. Yeah. Full stop, wasn't yeah. he? But, and it's interesting that game could that was a season because the stand was so high towards the end when it felt like you could barely even afford to draw a game because Chelsea actually they drew that was a second draw of three in a row. Middlesbrough away, Leicester at home, Sheffield Wednesday away. And had they all three looked winnable the way they were playing, and had they won them, they might well have actually won that league. I was just looking going into the Leicester game. They were level with six. All teams had six games to play. They were level with Arsenal and four points behind United. But United still had to go to Liverpool and go to Leeds. So that's why all throughout that title race, United had a slight edge, but it was a kind of qualified edge because Leeds were brilliant mm. and Liverpool. So you, and you knew you had to go there. So actually, it had Chelsea. Chelsea were so close. We kind of think of Chelsea, or I do sometimes, that they were a cut team until Abramovich. Then they became league challengers, and that's not strictly true. The, no, yeah. under Viali '98-9, they were. Genuine proper contenders. I always thought his spells a bit underrated, actually. Um, I, I know he had a disaster at Watford, but I thought he did a brilliant job at Chelsea because you look at the squad he had, and it wasn't that great, but they were a really kind of tight, controlled side. Uh, played good football. That was a George, George Weir was in that team, wasn't he? No, he signed the loan the year later. It was a year so later, they, sorry. But the, the, the two they had up front were Zola and Tori Andre Flo. Flo, Flo yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. I thought Flo was quite underrated. Um, and then he had a lot of kind of. Poyet was. Came back from injury, I think, second half of that season. And then they had a lot of kind of good, tidy players like Wise, a young Jody Morris. Petrescu was a nice player, but they weren't, you know, they also had people like Bernard Lambord, who people don't remember, Babayaro. Um, so to be that strong with those players, because compared to United and Arsenal, their squad was nowhere near as good. So to get that close actually was a pretty big achievement. Um, and they looked like they'd win it for a while. They went top around Christmas, they played United twice, quick, quick, quick succession, drew both games, and with a better team in both. Um, they, yeah, they were a really good side. They just those three draws kind of fell away, um, and they also they had a game at home to West Ham in mid March. They lost one nil, and that kind of really killed, that really hurt them. But yeah, Ian Marshall 
did the treble is what you're saying basically basically yeah without yeah once again something old and related <laughs> set up united's season in the last in the last knockins basically it does make you realize how precarious even these great achievements like the treble is immortal likewise the invincibles but they everything it's so precarious like you know there are so many little things of country and not just the things you do as a team as well because yeah the chelsea kind of this result for chelsea was really significant like arsenal with the invincibles if Van Nistelrooy's penalty is an inch lower, they're beaten after nine games. Even the greatness, like, it's so fragile. It's really the European. Well, that European Cup final that United won was, oh, they, was it Yanka yeah, hit were, the bar and yeah, Scholl hit the post. Hit the post. Um, <laughs> Carsten Yanka, man. Bergkamp's penalty, of course. Um, but I'm sure we'll do the treble at another another yes. time. I'll make sure I'm here for that. You mentioned you mentioned Tilsley as well at some point. That's still the the Sheringham goal. For that trip, we're not talking about that, but I just want to go across this because we were talking about commentators before. It shows you how professionally good they are because he can, he's a United fan, and he tells me. He is. I, I think he is. But <laughs> he I always is. thought he was. I always thought he was, but I've heard some people say he was a Liverpool fan, but anyway. No, no he's I definitely a United fan because he was on Talk Sport talking about it recently. Oh, okay. And he, but he, um, it's the way he completely loses his shit when Sheringham scores and just screams Sheringham. Yeah. And then he pauses, does he? Then just goes, name on. The cup, <laughs> yeah, because obviously yeah. it's just that brilliant way you could of, of, of commentators can have to lose it, then compose themselves a minute, then come up with something historic, really. I suppose. I think it's just, the, the talent they have is astonishing, really. Because, yeah, it's one thing to be able to do, say, a match report, but at least you get time to think. This is essentially a stream of consciousness, and if you mess that up, my game. I'm just imagining. Like, I always remember Jonathan Pierce talking about how when he was at Capital Gold, they got these tapes of budding commentators and he said there was one that was really good and it was kind of they're all like he spoke really good and he's like oh, go down left crosses in get the fuck in there <laughs> yeah and, um, I remember that I remember that yeah and you think like if you imagine if you do that because I I know that if I'd been commentating on United that night exactly what was that Sky feature when they introduced oh, that oh, is that still going yeah. it can't I, I be. don't think so no it was awful often, if you ever watch Premier League years as, as I try to at least once a day um they were always showing little clips from there. Yeah, I didn't like that at all because it kind of, yeah, it just felt forced, didn't it? Really, but yeah, because the ge- the genuine ones who do that fan commentary, there's the like legendary ones. There's a guy at Bolton in there, and there was a yeah, guy exactly. at Tranmere who was absolutely amazing. They don't deserve this. Yeah. <laughs> Who's that rugby league guy? Have you seen that? Oh one? yeah, Mick Morgan. I can't speak. Mick Morgan. Yeah, he's played yeah. for Castleford. Yeah. Yeah. Get him um, off the field. It's a legendary <laughs> yeah, competition. Yeah, yeah. You bottleless um, get. That's the, one of the best descriptions of a referee I've ever I've ever heard. You bottleless get. <laughs> yeah, it's started I have a lot of admiration for them, particularly yeah, the the great ones like Tyler and Tilsley and obviously Barry Davis and people like that. I think we are probably gonna do a commentators episode when I get the technology set up to actually have loads of clips to play. So uh Oh yeah, that's a good shout. So we'll go from there. Um, it's it's a relatively short one tonight, ladies and gentlemen, because it's just the two of us and it's a, a bit of a short one. But that was our memories of a couple of games and, and good tournament poor signing. If you've got any things you would like to talk us to talk about, you can always get in touch, by the way, at Ness and Dorma Pod on the Twitter and on the website and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's probably us for this week. And hopefully that's got you through your train journey to work, whatever it is you're doing, I hope you, uh, or on your bike or driving or whatever. And we'll uh, see you all soon next week. And we'll be back to a threesome next week to talk about something in a bit more depth. Cheers, take care. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family 
cannolis. And spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.